Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome to the Waiting List Podcast, guys. And today we welcome some person you are probably very familiar with because, I mean, he's everywhere on my Instagram. It's Justin Hast. <laughs> whose uh, name is also his Instagram handle. Welcome to the show, Justin. Daniel, an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for the invite. Good. And as usual, I'm joined uh, with uh, Long Long. And unfortunately, Jacqueline has got a severe bout of conjunctivitis. So all, all of you guys message her and wish her well. I'm sure she looks forward to receiving your messages. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, we are basically hot off the press from Watches and Wonders, and uh, thank you for fitting us in. You know, because I know the schedule must be super packed, and you must be, you know, even if you're not packed, you must be completely knackered. Um, we actually had our own recap of Watches and Wonders yesterday as a podcast that will be coming out um, this week. But how was it for you? You know, because it's been a while with you know because of COVID and everything. This was like the real one after COVID. How was it for you? Mm. Yeah, no, Dan, thank you. We, we we spoke just before, actually, didn't we? Just before Watches and Wonders, and um, it um it was it was really special. I've got to say, this year it was you know I've been going for a couple of years. I've been going actually as long as uh, well. It always dates you when you can reference what it was called <laughs> when you first went, right? So it was called um, SIHH when I first went, and and actually <laughs> funny story, but true story. The um sorry, I'm I'm detouring a little bit off the subject, but our the PR uh, the PR managers here for brands book the media and 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 you're you're always fortunate well some of us are fortunate to be booked a hotel and in my first year I wasn't fortunate enough to be booked a hotel because I was just desperate to be there and I booked my own place that I the only place that I could afford which was a Thai massage parlor in downtown Geneva and um and it, and I had to sleep on the leather sofa right so I got back in the evening with the key was left under the door for me by the owner who was wonderful and I let myself in and I slept with my face down in the Thai chair like my first year at Watches and Wonder SIHH and it was such a memorable year um and um and thankfully they had wiped the leather clean so it wasn't particularly oily which I was very grateful for um but but no look this year was incredible absolutely incredible. hang on a minute hang on a minute hang on a minute <laughs> I have so First many of all, questions too like, I'm sure it was very wonderful very inverted commas wonderful, wonderful. right <laughs> well, let's let, come on let's come clean like that's not the reason why you booked it because it was cheap. come on why like, did I do that on a side note, I do love, and one of my great passions outside of watches is a Thai massage, but we don't have to yeah. dwell on that. We don't have to dwell on that. I just love a deep, deep tissue massage. Um, it, the reality was, you know, truth be told, you know, this was a long, this was a good long time ago. I couldn't afford to pay the rates for the hotels, you know, the, in, in, in Geneva, at the, uh, you know, when it's, when it's watch, which watch week, it, it becomes really expensive mm -hmm. and I just didn't have the money. And I, the only thing I could afford was 60 odd francs, Swiss francs a night, which got me the... Uh, which I booked through Airbnb, but was a Thai massage parlor that they converted at night to be an Airbnb, and um, and it's it's one of the great memories I've got of of Geneva Watch Week. Um, so there we go. But um, but yeah, Thai massage, love it, absolutely love it. Wow. The the show, Lung Lung, I'm going to cut yeah. you off before you've got yeah. a question to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you're curious. I can see yeah. you're curious. Um, but look, Watches and Wonders this year was absolutely phenomenal. It was it was. 
I think three times, if not four times as busy as last year, you know, of course, the Asian market this year was able to travel and that made a huge difference just in the, the overall energy of the place. It was absolutely buzzing. People will inevitably have complained about the, the, the well, I'm the waitlist podcast. We were waiting mm-hmm. to get into the damn thing for a long time. But, mm-hmm. uh, but to be honest, that was part of the fun of it. That was the charm of it. And the optimism in the air was, was, was huge because of, the increased number of people there and you know the only issue i had quite frankly was that the cat the, the the agenda the daily agenda was so jam-packed half an hour to see a brand and get hands on with the watch was just not long enough and that was mm. probably my learning from from this year so overall amazing um probably like you touched on in your conversation about the the show there wasn't necessarily any standout banger watches that like took the whole show by storm but there was a lot of really interesting stuff and um you know, there were lots of brands, which was really interesting. Mm, okay. Actually, Long all I wanted to ask it. was, like, why did you sleep face down? Like, why didn't you go to the home and just sleep? <laughs> you, like, did you, like, do you face down when you sleep or do you face on your side? Or you, I are you face on, your... on my side. For sure. I, I don't know anyone that face, like puts their face in the pillow like into the well, look, it depends on which way it depends on which way your head's tilted so if your head's tilted yeah. to the right your right arm has to be up because yeah. this then the left arm goes dead so yeah. i'm 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 a face down right arm left no arm way. back on a guy there we go wow. you should <laughs> okay. research this and see what it means um, uh, but- i'm i'm not i'm totally not a face down person i'm a totally like back person yeah completely <laughs> back yeah, and I don't. And how many, I'm not how a massive pillows, fan then? of like pillows. Yeah, how many, how many pillows? No pillows or how many pillows? No pillows. Nah, I, sometimes I go without the pillow. Mm. Uh, but if I want a pillow, I like it really low. So I like basically like a like a sliver of a pillow. Mm. Yeah, because otherwise, think... like my neck kinks up because you know you're you're on your back. I wonder <laughs> you did like okay during the quarantine in China, like we're nothing <laughs> like in the room. <laughs> right so uh justin yeah moving on right (laughs) otherwise i think we're going to be talking about massages the whole episode which isn't a bad thing but uh that's that's actually quickly best and worst piece from watches and wonders this year for you worst piece um was the jacob and co um, which I didn't get to see. Oh God, long enough. I hit a nerve there. Sorry, you've definitely hit a nerve by saying she might like Jacob and Co. No, because okay, no, go on, go on. I'm listening. Do you know what? It's it's probably unfair. I, I've never interacted with the brand. I've never actually held a watch of theirs, so it's it's probably not fair to judge. But mm-hmm. I just when I get the emails coming through, I just am immediately turned off by it because the headline is about the price for this watch and. To me, watches are not about the price. It's about, there's a whole myriad of other things that the watch can be about, but not the price. And that's the lead story for this watch. And that bothers me. That simply okay. bothers me. Okay. What we're do you talking, think? Oh, like, you um, think? Th- we're talking about the yellow diamond one, right? Yeah. Is it $2 um, million? Like, how much is it? Two, I, is it well, I re- well, I remembered it as uh, either $32 million or $23 million. <laughs> I can just remember the three really well. And thinking yeah. like, how do you price it? Like, what's the calculation? How do you get there? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like there's, there's a sort of lick the finger and stick it in the air sort of vibe from them, you know, yeah, which is like, yeah. prepared. Who, who out there might be prepared to find all of this so offensive that they're prepared to then actually buy this thing? Um, 
I don't know. I just, I just didn't connect. I don't connect with the brands, so I struggle. Yeah. I do struggle. With that. Yeah. Um, I don't know even know what the pricing is. It was multi, multi millions of dollars, I'm, I'm gonna uh, which you can buy many, many nice. Uh, well, you can buy lots of houses. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy lots of houses. You could have lots of Thai massages, and you oh, could have lots of banger and jawns if you wanted. Um, uh, God, we'll find the price. But, but actually, uh, Dan, just to answer your question on the on the positive side. Um, the 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 first watch that I think of is um, I'm sort of it's a, it's a joint call actually between the IWC Ingenieur because I do think what they've the challenge they faced there was was pretty huge to take on uh, like Vacheron last year take on an icon and try and improve on it and I do believe fundamentally they've improved on the wearability of the watch from a ground up restoration if you will in the bracelet and in the case and so it's the IWC Ingenieur and I love their stand as well. And it's a it's a it's a it's a joint award for me as well with Chopart LUC for the for the ah, uh, okay. Salmon LUC thirty six point five millimeter yeah. micro rotor Salmon. I mean, absolutely stunning. And I didn't even get to see that watch because I, I couldn't get an appointment with Chopart. So mm -hmm. those two for me are my winners. What what were your winners? What were your two winners? Just before uh, the well, first of all, I think those are very good choices. Actually, we mentioned the engineer like mm -hmm. on the episode because. Um, I, I quite like the original like graph dial engineer, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I like, but I, cause the new one's 40 millimeters and I, it, we were basically the theme of our podcast yesterday was that maybe we're not that interested in the modern pieces, you know, mm -hmm. like, as you kind of, uh, said, it wasn't like hugely exciting. I think for most cases, a lot of brands played conservatively, but then I think Rolex was interesting with that concept of like putting an emoji and, and like inspirational words. That's a totally new direction that I thought was really brave. That was, yeah, a, a great thing, but you know, by and large where, where watches have been, and I said this yesterday, you see the Patek collection and everybody's going to look at Patek and, and Rolex and you know, you ain't going to get them. You know, mm -hmm. that's almost but what they're actually saying to you is all the VIPs. That's what you need to buy. That's what you need to get this year to keep your VIP status or make your relationship even better because everybody else, you haven't got a chance to get it right. The only way you're going to get it is just on the secondary market. Mm -hmm. So that's how I, that's how I feel about mm -hmm. a lot of those watches that you saw. Uh, obviously that doesn't apply to the IWC. Um, but having said that, you know, some of these what's the right word like okay brands that are not rolex and Patek, basically not the behemoths of the watch industry they're also playing a very similar game you know as soon as they find something which is popular they make it like freaking hard to get you know uh, and then they try and like make you bundle for other stuff so it's a bit of a i think the swiss watch industry has to it's becoming tiresome and i think you have to be in tune with what the consumers think and is it is it like a great thing? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to sell watches. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you the worst watch that we said yesterday. Yeah, the worst nice. watch was the Tag Heuer. Plasma. That was bad. Plasma something diamond. And then plasma, plasma d'avant-garde or something. Yeah. Right. Because they're not grass-fed. <laughs> the lab-grown diamonds. Yes. Like, yeah. I, you know what? I, I read this thing about like LVMH basically either bought a company or invested in a company that was growing, like making lab grown diamonds. 
So TagHoya ended up being like the first brand to test it out to use it, right? And there were people saying like, okay, perhaps this brand is way ahead of the other brands and eventually the other brands are going to catch up, blah, blah, blah. But then just look at the design of the watch. It was so bad that we had to like delete the photo from our group chat because it was bothering all of us so much. It just literally looks like you wore the watch, you got into a car crash and then the glass shattered and then it got stuck in the watch. That kind of feeling It was really, really bad. Yeah, no words to yeah. like explain. I, I did, I did, I did see that actually in in the yeah. in the method. Yeah, I, I mean that was a real that was a subject of conversation, no doubt. Was these these lab grown diamonds? One one, yeah. I was actually in my appointment with a, a British journalist who specialises in jewellery. A woman, she she doesn't yeah. typically do watches, but she was saying apparently the jewellery manufacturers. 12 24 months ago were all kind of into these um lab grown diamonds and now they're completely moving away from them again because it just doesn't capture the imagination it doesn't have the the, the soul the character the, or the story, um, right? story that, yeah i mean but but interestingly richmond owns or de beers yeah owned by richmond also owns the the biggest sort of lab grown diamond competitor in the market so it's all sort of cross-wired um which is really fascinating uh, I, I'm actually thinking now, and while you're talking, I have to throw in another watch that I didn't see, but I was kind of repulsed by. Um, was the Beaver watch? Oh, <laughs> that was mentioned yesterday too. Yeah. <laughs> is it the price though? That's like throwing you off. Uh, to be honest with you, I immediately thought that the design was wrong. As soon as you know, you know, sometimes you know, sometimes you get an admit. I mean, that's what watches are to me. Is it's yeah. a visceral thing. It's a visceral, emotional response. Yeah. And I didn't see it in the metal, so I can't entirely judge it. But when I saw the press release in the image again, I just, something wasn't right. I looked at it and I was like, no, 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 no. Either it's the logo, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the dial, color, color with, the, with that bracelet. Nothing about it came together for me. It felt like a couple of individual design cues coming that could have been okay maybe by themselves, but never okay together. And that's kind of where I was at with it. And I just obviously the price was into the what three four hundred thousands, and at, at that point I also switched off because I thought that was a, a piss take. Okay. I think uh, with that watch, that watch was brought yeah. up again because of the price, right? And um, Jacqueline mentioned about how previously Jean Claude Beaver is about been saying about like you know watch brands and Swiss watch brands should be more inclusive, and then um, you know a watch like that comes out at half a million. Mm-hmm. I don't think inclusive is anywhere near that kind of watch but i understand what you mean by the watch design as well because Mm. it's got quite a chunky bracelet but the indices are very fine Mm. right and then you've got a tourbillon thing smack bang in the middle um and that's already you know a tourbillon is basically i've always described a tourbillon as a a girl with massive boobs you know like you, you don't need like anything more visual but then they've put like this interesting dial thing and then it's just way too much right so i mean um, looking at massive boobs yeah. can you get away with like any like just having like a hideous face uh <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> that's really harsh you put me up there love because you know the answer yeah. to that like you yeah. knew before you asked like okay, you know, that's so unfair <laughs> it's, that's so unfair that you only <laughs> asked me and not justin <laughs> Justin looked down because he was like shit. 
Well, I think what you're trying to say there, Dan, is just just to defend you, this is to say that sometimes design is best where you have a central feature, right? Something that stands mm, out. It's mm. a central, a beautiful face, a beautiful pair of legs, a beautiful character, a great laugh. A great laugh is enough for you to be attracted to them. All mm. great intelligence, of course. But in this instance, looking at this dial, you know, the, the dial by itself, I, I think it might be a stone dial, potentially. I haven't even established what that is, that blue blue dial. But that by itself could well be enough to be attractive because it's yes. an example of a great dial, you know, from what you want is Piaget came out with a whole series of the Andy Warhol star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. that stone dial is enough yeah. to be super attractive or the case yeah. is enough to be super attractive. Yeah, this yeah. Is, this is like throwing all of that together. And the reason it's, and if we're linking it again to sort of aesthetics, this is that, oh God, I'm, I'm actually going to link it to, to to the American president's current situation, but Stormy Daniels, Stormy Daniels. <laughs> she oh my had, God. She's okay. had, she's had face, she, yeah. I, look, I don't know. I have no idea. Has yeah. she had face job stuff done? Has she had implants put in her face? She's had fake tits put on. <laughs> she's had fake legs. She's had fake arms. She's all fake, right? She's too much. She's too yeah. much. And therefore, she's she's not right because she's just too much. And that's what this is. Sorry, Jean-Claude. I love Jean-Claude. I love Jean-Claude. <laughs> uh, do you know what, though? In defense to Jean-Claude Beaver, right? Well, it wasn't defense, but it was trying to come from his... Every time he's launched a brand, for mm -hmm. him, it's important that it's controversial because mm -hmm. it becomes such a talking point. And we're talking about it now. And that is mm -hmm. almost like the best advertising you can get for a watch, right? Because I think he's only needs to sell 20. And the amount of uh, database he will have aggregated over his years of it, it is not going to be an issue to sell mm -hmm. that watch at full price, right? No. Yeah, but do you think, right, um, it's because all of us collectively are so backwards in terms of design and understanding design that maybe in five years we're going to be like, yeah, I get it now. No. No. I got to come in there and cut Justin off before he answers. No, because like I'll, I'll I'll be the idiot of the show for today. That's no problem at all. Okay, no. Like you know how we hate Crocs, and then Justin yeah. Bieber wears Crocs, and everyone's like, "Whoa, cool Crocs." No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I've got to defend my design taste here. I've got. I'm not going to allow this. <laughs> the yeah. I think as you see more watches, your eye becomes more trained. Yeah. And I think actually, what we're all talking about is actually an inherent balance of design in a watch yes. it's okay to have elements in that eye-catching but it's whether can you balance it mm. and add all those elements together that is pleasing on the eye and i think when we um at the beginning of a watch journey you will have a feeling you will see the same thing as let's say a more seasoned watch collector right but you may not be able to attribute it to certain factors like oh the lugs are too to, the lug shape is too too rigid or or the bracelet links are too you know too fine or you can't say it like that but mm. when you you become handling all these pieces all the time you can factor in so many different factors you know the thickness of the case the diameter mm. uh, we were talking about the dome crystal in some you know in, in the cartier yesterday all these little details you can actually pinpoint and actually be far more descriptive in your analysis of the design okay question What's the one brand that you associate the most with, like John Claude Beaver? Like, would it be Hublot? Hublot. Yeah, Hublot, Hublot right? Pan. Yeah. Okay, so if you look at Hublot, do you think it's good looking, or do you think we were made to think it was good looking because he said so? Right. I, I I've I've run myself over the coals enough already. So Justin, please, <laughs> please go ahead. <laughs> I immediately actually thought of, of Blancpain just because oh, okay. I've got a few friends yeah. here who are really into the old neo-vintage Blancpain yeah. and, 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 
And I think that you know, there's one friend in particular, Ben from Watch Brothers London, who's yeah. trying to... Yeah. He's trying to make Blancpain yeah. great again in his own, in, I think kind of his own words or my words, I'm not sure. Um, but Hublot, I was watching Iron Man last night and an Iron Man, he wore a big bang in that first film. So there was a moment when he, when he jumps out the car and he's wearing a big bang. And, you know, there was a time when that was really cool. And, and, the, and, and, but I don't think it was because Jean-Claude told me it was cool. Cause I didn't even know who the hell Jean-Claude Bieber yeah. was. At that yeah. Time. I just, immediately saw that design with that strong case on a rubber strap that was inherently cool with the big chronograph uh, uh sub dials but you know yeah i guess when i watched that you know later on when you watch that talking watches with him talking about his collection and you know with with ben Clymer, i mean you, you are influenced by his passion about the design and and the competition between the royal oak and the nautilus and mm. you know that had, that had an impact on me um but again i'm just i'm turned off by the what I perceive as poor design from the brand over a long period of time. Yeah. And I, I would say just because I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a mood for some reason, I'm, ne I'm always positive about watches. Yeah. Well, I'm never negative. I'm having a bad day. <laughs> I sat, I sat in on, I sat in on the Hublot launch yeah. and, and there was nothing that they brought to the table that was in any shape or form attractive to me personally, mm -hmm. nothing. And I sat through, that was the only meeting of the whole week that I sat through and I was like, I need to get out of here. The team that are presenting it are lovely, but yeah. these just do not they do nothing to me this is not the reason i'm in watches okay <laughs> okay do you think do you think were you were you influenced by jean-claude to think that because no, it was avant-garde at, at, at the time I, of course i had a i was influenced him to like patek even more <laughs> no but i had a big bang in rose gold and it was mm. my favorite watch and i chose that over everything else and i thought it was cool because i saw the basketball players wear it I couldn't mm. even name a single basketball player that wore it, but I was like, okay. That's because you're into black men. Though. Yeah, it is true. I am into black men, but I just thought it was cool because of them. I, like I couldn't mm. name a single thing or like anything else about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, okay. So we said the worst. Did we even get to the point of the best? And uh, yeah, like Justin, the best. Did, oh yeah. You said the LUC show part. Is yeah. that your answer? And the entrepreneur to me. What, what was it for you? Yeah. Uh, so... I wouldn't get it, mm -hmm. right? But I actually thought that the two Rolex releases, so the um, the day date with the emoji and that, I just think that was so forward thinking uh, from a brand that, you know, basically put their foot out and said, you know what? Watches are about lifestyle now. You know, this is what watches, you know, if you want to engage the young, you actually have to be in touch with the young consumer or even not even young consumer, the consumer these days. What is it? Instantly recognizable dial with the jigsaw and the colors of it in a one of their strongest collections, which is the the day date, um, and such an interesting concept. I think that is a winner for sure. Um, and then the nineteen oh eight dress watch. You know, I think that there is something very charming that where you can buy a dress watch other than a Cellini, because um, I think the Cellini is too big for me personally where you see Rolex on the dial, you know, mm. that is just really quite a classic thing, you know, because if we, if we being honest, you know, if you go, if you really want the best or what society perceives as the best or watch collectors, it would be a dress watch Patek. But then, you know, if you have a dress watch Rolex, that ain't that bad either. And I think at that kind of price, yellow, gold, and black, that's really sexy. Uh, did you get to see that watch? Yeah, I was very impressed with it. And funny enough, 
I'm, I'm pleased you mentioned it because I'd kind of forgotten about it because there was just too much to digest, but it was really cool. I always quite liked this, this Cellini um, because it was the so not obvious choice to, yeah. to buy it as a consumer. And to be honest, you know, it wasn't long and long ago, <laughs> you could probably go in and buy one. And, 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 and I, I, I really like that. Um, and, and I just love the hour hand on it. I love um it, it had a Vutalinen feel to it immediately to me for some reason. I don't know if it was just that hand or I just really thought it was beautiful. And I would, I would definitely wear it. It was really, really lovely. The movement was, was, was wonderful. Um, I don't know what the price point is, but I would also love to walk into the boutique and have the guy or the girl opposite behind the, the counter, look at you with a bit of a glare and then sort of check out your watch that you're wearing to see if you're suitable or not. <laughs> and then, say, Hey, you know what? I'm actually not here for the Daytona. I'm, I'm here for mm. that. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly. Because Rolex is so heavily sports watch. To go against that, it's just just so it's a bit of consideration in your in your selection, and the fact that you you're not into the height. And I think, but then you still get that strong branding. And I think that's attractive for, for mm-hmm. me. So maybe I'll, I'll go for that one. I, but I do want to see it in the flesh because I also, you know, with dress watches, the thinness of the watch really adds to the elegance. It's a, almost a make or break for me. So it has mm-hmm. to be significantly thin. For me to want to pull the trigger so i can't wait to see that how about you long what was your what was your um, best piece if i remember mine was easily um jlc the one that like on one side looks mm. looks vintage and then the other side looks modern that's open worked with a retrograde right um mm. but if you if i had to like buy one on the spot easily the rolex as well 1908 but mm. probably for a different reason one because well one i'm in hong kong and i feel like with all this noise about like not being able to buy the first AP, first Rolex, first anything, um, you see there's a struggle and there's like competition amongst all the brands, like trying to get into that market of like someone's first work watch, right? So everyone's wearing a Pepsi, a Hulk, um, Batman, and it would just be really nice for someone to get that watch at that price point, which is about 20,000 USD. Um mm-hmm. And wear it to work and for it to fit the outfit instead of everybody in like CBD area wearing like a Batman. Mm. So that's why I like it more because I'm just frustrated with like seeing everyone wear the same thing in Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah. There is somewhat like, Hmm? sorry, there is somewhat, um, I don't know whether, don't you think, well, I do think, so again, I'll put myself on the coals here, but I think it's, not a good look when you wear like in the cbd area you wear the suit mm-hmm. and then you wear a sports watch with it like a heavy like a rolex right yeah that was cool when probably daniel craig did his first 007 i think it's dated now that look personally yeah, but it's actually- and i think it should go to more refined and dress watch look Person. If you look at Hong Kong, I can tell you there's like two, no, sorry, there's three tiers. Everyone in the first tier, so first, like, uh, first job, Rolex. Um, yeah. And they refuse to wear anything else. Like, they're not going to wear a Nomos. They're not going to wear um, Breitling, any other brand. It just has to be a Rolex. One tier up, so you work three years, five years, it has to be a Nautilus or Aquanaut. And then when someone says, why are you wearing an Aquanaut to work? They're like, yeah, because I can't like wear something else because my boss is wearing a perpetual calendar. So you only have three tiers and you're not going to find anything else. That's it. That's Hong Kong. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 
That is interesting. I mean, at 20,000, I'm just thinking about the pricing now. Who would that be up against the 1908? Who, and that's retail. So um, what, what, other, what other, I mean, the show part, for example, is 21,000 yeah. quid. So yeah. that's like 20 plus thousand US. I don't know what, what that is. You have all the other, I mean, you have uh, the Steel Daytona mm-hmm. or Day Date. Um, well, I'm thinking like if I was in Hong Kong, what what I would see, you could potentially get like a 34 mm AP. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even buy an AP Divers, or you can buy it secondhand. Um, we were going to go like for like. You can buy a lot of independence, huh? Like life alike, yeah. I think the watch is really competitively priced. Yeah, definitely competitively priced. I can't like a Langer Saxonia thin, maybe just yeah. as a direct. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You could buy a Ming. You could buy. You can go. You can buy a Grand Seiko. You can buy lots of things. It's just no one's going to get it in Hong Kong for sure. Yeah. 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 I didn't realize it was so clinical over there. Lung. I, I mean, yeah. It's been a long time since I've been over there, but I mean that is interesting. I think now, now more than ever, with the number of brands and the number of watches out there, it feels like it's a shame not to to see people exploring and having fun with with their purchases. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. This yeah. this this quickly goes on to basically yeah. like Hong Kongers, right? And this might not be just limited to Hong Kong, maybe Chinese people. The the value of the watch is a is a is a really like high factor if not the number one factor mm. in their purchase decision yeah yeah and then design and then brand so that's why yeah mm. i mean okay you know how justin made um the watch annual right if you look yeah. at the entries like that came in to you from different parts of the world i'm sure mm. like i'm guilty of this i sent in an ap um yeah. i mean mine is pat right he's different um, but like everyone else in Asia mostly sends in like the big brands. Mm-hmm. So if I look at it by location, I'm like, yeah, all the cool ones are like US, Australia, other places. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that just thinking back, I think a lot of micro brands from Europe. So like Scandinavia, there was mm-hmm. loads of guys from, and, and you know, from Norway, from Sweden, Denmark, Finland coming at me with stuff that honestly, I'd even never actually come across before in my life. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so there seems to be that. Um you know, I don't know. Maybe there's a crime element to this. I mean, obviously, this is pertinent given the um, the news from AP as of this week with their support for people who've just bought watches from them for insurance. But, you know, I, I wonder I wonder how people's buying behavior is influenced by the fact that they won't be able to enjoy the watch in the way they want to in some cities. And London, unfortunately, in Paris and Barcelona being cities that are prevalently not the, the most positive environments right now to be wearing an AP or an Nautilus. Yeah, mm. that's a good point, actually. I, I It's never crossed my mind because, I mean, Hong Kong's safe, so. Mm. Yeah, mm. same in Shanghai. Don't really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. People but, definitely- um, yeah, I've got a question here from Jacqueline that she wanted me to ask you, Justin. <laughs> this was her question. She mm. wanted to ask, does... Do you think that British guys get preferential treatment in the watch world? <laughs> Wait, is this for real or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can sc- like screen cap this, guy, right? Like British, British guys, or yeah. like British accent or British guys. She was. She said, "Like, yeah, okay." So you guys did the pod. Then, please, could you ask Justin this question? <laughs> and that's the question. And said, so, "Because I was going to ask him that due to the accent." That is hilarious. God, that I've never been asked that, and I, I, that's brilliant. I'm. I'm gutted she's not here actually because 
I have to confess, I, I, I know she and I share a passion for taupe straps, which I was going to touch on with her later, because <laughs> um, she is toped out. She's toped to the gills, um, which is wonderful. Um, I do think, yeah, I, I think we probably do, to be honest. Um, you know, our greatest export, we touched on Bond very briefly, but, you know, the greatest export we have here is is probably Bond. And 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 what comes with Bond is, is sort of a, um, we all ride off the back of people's perception of him, I think internationally, which is that you're meant to be gentlemanly, elegant, well-spoken, educated, um, athletic, uh, well-dressed, um, highly sexual. No, 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 that's not. Um, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, and look, I'm also, by the way, I'm also an adopted Brit because as I said, before we started recording, I actually was born elsewhere. I was actually born in South Africa. So I'm, I'm an adopted Brit. I came here when I was five um, because from, you know, my parents felt that the future was better here than in South Africa for us. Um, so, you know, I, I feel very lucky to ride the wave of that, but yeah, I think in the industry, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, I think quite frankly, I think guys, I think number one guys get, a lot more opportunity within the watch industry that's for sure um especially in the media you know women thankfully now are really pushing through and and long you know th thanks to you and, and jack and there's a number of of women in the in the us and the uk that are really pushing through from a collector perspective and a media perspective and thank god for watch and a watchmaking perspective as well we're seeing a lot of women coming through and that's fantastic men have absolutely had more opportunity over over the last few years um, mainly because the industry has been full of men. Um, and, and that's a conversation that Mr. Rupert Richemont made a couple of years ago around looking at the leadership within his group. And it was all old white dudes in suits, um, in black suits, particularly. And that's not good. That's not good for anybody. Um, so, but I'm, I'm detouring off the subject here. Yeah, I do think we've had an easier ride. I feel like I've had opportunities maybe in a, in a media perspective, maybe more recently in a presenting perspective, because I can hardly write. I'm highly dyslexic. I can barely put a sentence together. And I've tried making a living yeah. writing. <laughs> but, I'm, but I think I'm I'm better speaking. And the voice and the accent helps because I think for the most part, the American audience can understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And the Asian audience kind of can understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, okay, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, I'm just telling you from an Asian person's perspective where like mm -hmm. people around me where English isn't the, their first language, they find the British accent just like impossible to understand. Oh God. Yeah. Oh God. The, they're really? really like, um, I would say the equivalent would be, I, I always use this with a uh, Mandarin, like British mm -hmm. accent is the equivalent of Chinese pe people speaking Mandarin and American accent is the equivalent of like Taiwanese people speaking Mandarin. Like Dan, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's just it like, easy. Sense. yeah. Easy. Uh, I, I think, I think it isn't just the accent. I think it's the use of language. All right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel very at home speaking with Justin because of his use of language is is British, right? <laughs> I, I think there's just a bit more. Oh, God, I'm going to get. I'm, I'm so know, killing I myself know. on class, this. Class. Class. <laughs> you want to say class? I, I wasn't going to say yeah. that. <laughs> I would say there's consideration over the words. Yeah. Yes, I use. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. You think? Like, do you do you, do you think there's something to do with the fact that maybe American movies sort of proliferated? Uh, you know, in Hong Kong, for example, like you grow up watching American movies, and the accent is more is more generally accessed. Is that fair or more prevalent? Yeah, prevalent. Yes. Yeah, that that is one thing. 
but also because I think I'm biased like I studied in the UK so because I was around and I went to like a British-based middle school and high school so for me to meet British people it becomes the norm so you don't like put them on a pedestal and stuff and then when I got to the UK the way I would describe British people I can say this now because you're not originally Brit okay like (laughs) when I went back to Taiwan and my parents are like how do you tell when someone's Brit and someone's like from Spain or France or whatever, I'm like, okay, so British guys are like short and they have like really ugly noses. Like that's how you can tell. <laughs> and then French people have like petite noses and they're like, mm, okay. I see. I, I've, got, I've got the world's smallest nose. And no, you have mom, a nice nose. My mom, my mom used to tell me growing up that she said every day you got to pull it a hundred times to try and make it grow because it's so small. Um, it wasn't the only thing she told me to pull a hundred times to see if it could grow. No, sorry, that's not, sorry, that's not, that's a side note. Um, was that your mom at the time massage parlor? Like, no, 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 we can't go there. We simply cannot. We simply cannot. That's, that's interesting, Melon. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting because you guys have spent a great deal of time here and it's, you know, I think I think that it's different I think American I think our our egos are blown up a little bit because I've got some great friends who studied in America and whenever we go to America that's when we get blown up like we get we get that we're something special when we're really not it's just that Americans generally haven't seen uh, many Brits or heard many accents like this and it's something special I remember when I was in Hong Kong over during COVID right and I got told this afterwards that people thought I was putting on my British accent I was like (laughs) if you think this is put on i can put it on you know like this is not yeah, let's hear this it. is not really like a british like you know what i mean like a hugh grant kind of you know or like a chav that kind of accent yeah. yeah like i could really go for it but i was just really surprised like one why would i do that and two like you clearly don't know a british accent then but, <laughs> but yeah there's so many variations as well i mean it's like the same everywhere isn't it but my god you know, there are so many variations. You can't, you, you can't, you can't but, sum it all. Yeah, like you did mention James Bond, and I just actually wanted to ask your opinion. Do you, do you know what I mean by the suit with the sports watch look? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, in the city, thank God, I don't spend much time in the city here in like Canary Wharf, but, you know, I can totally associate with that image being yeah. on that city yeah. line going into, yeah. into bank. And you, you see that, you see that blue suit and you see that <laughs> popping out from underneath and you know give me a vintage one give me give me a vintage yeah vintage submariner give me give me a a big red and it's like hey shit we need to talk immediately it's like there's a change of time that's that's the vibe but i do hear it i see it and i understand it yeah right so i want to move on like for a second you sound like a gold digger it's like i'm so glad he's not a girl like we need to talk okay you're wearing a big red (laughs) she's still right there (laughs) right so uh yeah we've managed to get through like two questions so far right so i'm gonna go to the third one um you are on you're a host of like two pods two podcasts right one's called the two watch collection and the watch journey pod so how did you get involved with those those projects and what are they about actually dan you know recently just before watches wonders i i actually guest hosted the iwc podcast which was really quite fun uh just for a couple of episodes while the the regular host was was away um and the the to watch collection is actually just a video series for youtube so that was one i started about a year ago now just off my own back because i felt that the idea of 
having a massive collection in front of you, I mean, this is maybe a, a quintessential British thing here, but having a huge amount of wealth or show of wealth or show of anything on a table and, and the owner is not the natural place for most collectors here. You know, it's not the natural comfort zone. Whereas to have some editing and some curation where someone says, hey, you know what, of course I've got other things, but I've chosen these two because I think these two work really well together and and, and I can tell you some stories about them. And it just feels a little bit more considered. So that was the inspiration for that series. Um, and, and and really, I just thought it would be fascinating to speak to a bunch of friends um, and let those conversations like you guys have done with the podcast, just let them live on because there's so many out, so many people out there that, you know, have similar conversations and it would be really interesting for them to live somewhere. So that's the YouTube series. And then the, the, the watch journey podcast that I, that I, um, that I have just started. And I think we're in episode three, we recorded episode three yesterday with my friend, uh, Pete Odgers, who's a, um, he's not in the industry, but he's a, a tennis correspondent, ex tennis professional, um, who, who's, who, who covers Wimbledon and US Open, Australian Open and for Amazon and for BBC, but he's a huge watch guy. And um, and we just said, hey, you know what would be really cool is, in many ways, this was to sort of support our own uh, problem, you know, to literally to ignite the problem that we've all already got, which is every day we're speaking to each other about the next watch or what we're selling or what we're interested in trying to get and why. And so it's called The Watch Journey because it's quite literally covering Pete and our journey together through watches and and mm. recently he picked up a you know his story for the last first the first two episodes has been his journey to acquiring this uh sportline fp jean with a yellow dial the canary yellow dial mm. yeah ferrari, ferrari yellow dial as i know it's called now um and and literally you know being honest about certain things you know we, we've had emails from people saying it was quite interesting to hear you guys talk about the challenges from a financial perspective that we put ourselves in a hole sometimes <laughs> to actually make these things work and that's not you know, that's something that everyone to, to, to a lesser or greater degree can relate to. But, you know, Pete is about to get married. He's asked his fiance to help bridge him some capital to go to Paris to buy a watch uh, that he absolutely doesn't need. And, you know, that's a story that needs to be told. That's and we fun. felt that the podcast was the best uh, mechanism for that. So, yeah, we started them and they're all good fun. And, and I love, you know, I, lo I love these types of conversations. And so the more the more we can all support the industry and, and share stories, positive and negative, I think the better. Yeah. That's yeah, I think uh, the UK is a bit of a, a, a hotbed for podcasts, right? You've got Scottish Watchers, and I think you've got um, uh, About Effing Time, which is yep. uh, Adrian Barker and uh, George Bamford and some other dude. And then you've got you, and yeah, it's pretty solid, pretty solid, like, content creation island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But, so. Yeah. No, no, go, go on. No, no, no. Go on, Dan. Sorry, I was just thinking, no, that's pr probably fair. I think it's always difficult to know because you're in your own little ecosystem. I mean, it's 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 kind of as it's similar to the watch world, really, especially on social, because we all we're all so entwined in our little spaces of, of friends, collectors and brands. It's hard to really know what the hell is going on out there because all you know is what you know. And and, yeah, and there are yeah. probably loads of other interesting pods going on out there. And there's probably loads yeah. of other interesting characters. But it's not always that clear what the hell is happening. It's a fascinating time to be alive. Yeah, I think I think my next question is because this is like so far into the podcast, but it might help the audience know what you actually do because they probably figured out you're actually a journalist. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like, like a joke. What do you like do? he's like sleeps in yeah. a massage parlor and like, who is this guy? He's an Airbnb reviewer. <laughs> yeah. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? God, that would be funny. <laughs> 
Um, no doubt. Very, very good question. And to be honest, I always say, I always say I'm still very much in the process of understanding what that is, because to be honest, it does evolve a lot. Um, I think at its core, as 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 sort of simple as it sounds, I guess I, I work in marketing um, and I'm, I'm in the process or journey of trying to help tell stories around watches in different forms. And so I started off as a, a writer for a blog. Um, you know, I, I had my own blog, which was which was great fun called Cancono. And that was my opportunity to write about watches. And then I got the chance to take a job at Revolution. So I was the online editor at Revolution um, with a guy called Sumit Nag in Singapore and and Waco and 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 Tracy Llewellyn, who was the editor here in the UK. Um, and then I started writing for Monochrome Watches. Um, I've written for uh, Hedinki. I took over from Arthur Tusho, who left the UK to join Philips, and um, and then written for SJX and others. So I feel like I've um, Oh, and the rake and a couple of, I feel like I've had this amazing opportunity just to dive deep into watches. And I also picked up a camera at the same time as writing and started photographing watches as difficult that as, as that is to explain on a first date. When you try and tell someone what, what you do on that Tinder date, what you do, take photos of watches. Sorry, you, you do what? Um, and then you share them. Sorry. Or you edit them at home. <laughs> yeah, that sounds terrible. Like, okay, cue, run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's he like he's Tinder and he's an entrepreneur basically jobless <laughs> yeah and basically egotistical yeah. money driven you know interested yeah. in status all those things that i hope that aren't the case people don't think of the case but yeah it's just it's just fascinating and then you know over the years started doing a bit more you know presenting I, i've had the opportunity to present iwc's new launches for a couple of years now on their youtube and um i've done some bits with langer and vacheron um Ressence and others so it's it's really it's really multifaceted and 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 i'm very grateful to just be in the industry that's that's really it okay so you know you've been in the industry for a while um who was the person you wanted to meet the most when you first started beside like the massage parlor lady and <laughs> who have you yet to meet that you know you are dying to meet yeah um I'd like to meet Francois Pourgeon. I've not met him, but we've obviously heard a lot about him and people talk about him a lot. Um, I was at FP Jean last week and I had a really great experience um, from a brand that, you know, doesn't necessarily need to look after me, but it did did a really, it was lovely to meet them, but I've never met him before. I'd love to meet um, Philippe Dufour because I've never met him before. And, and again, he's a bit of a hero of mine. I love his aesthetic. I love his commitment to the cause, to his commitment to his craft. Um, and his obsessiveness and the fact that watches don't have to be complicated, but they can be ridiculously well finished and well done. And that speaks to me from a design perspective. Um, who did I want to meet that I didn't meet originally? Um, to be honest with you, I did fall in love. Like IWC was the first brand that I fell in love with. And I, I fell in love with a watch, the Portuguese chronograph, the classic on a, on a sort of uncle figure of mine, who was also a sort of a mentor growing up. And, he would get compliments on the watch when I was with him. And I remember that was my first moment where I thought I need to, I need to, to get closer to this brand, to whoever made this. And that was, it was probably more a brand connection thing than it was an individual thing. But it's interesting that you asked that. Okay. And then like another question I wanted to ask, because, you know, I work for Philips as the China consultant now. Um, what difference is it when you actually go into the industry as what you do and what I do? And then as an enthusiast, what would you say the biggest differences are? Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one. Um it's a bit of a tough one. Yeah, I 
I think when you're very close to something, you like I said before, I think you lose perspective a little bit. Um, I think I think at times I need to catch myself because I lose perspective on pricing and value. Um, yeah, you know, that <laughs> that's a huge part of just the the sort of mental dialogue I go through uh, when I see new things or get excited about trying to make things work. Um, I I haven't lost the love. In fact, you know. I think my love has deepened for watches in the industry since being in it. I've got a few friends who work in fitness and and that was the other big passion of mine. And they all said, you know, as a, as a trainer or a coach, they sort of struggle for their own motivation and their own training because they're, they're around it the whole time. They're speaking to clients the whole time about their process. And that sort of loses that then has an impact on their own passion for the, for the industry. I, I really feel actually being around it more and more. I'm, I'm even more passionate and I, and I get more and more passionate as the years go by. So I think those are probably the two key things I think of now. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I guess because it was a while ago. I mean, it was over ten years ago now. So I'm thirty-four. You know, I was I was very early twenties when I first started, and I really didn't have the the access or the means to, quite frankly, anything. I mean, I, I didn't mm. really have. I mean, what did I have? What did I wear as a watch? I mean, I bought an Aquatime, an IWC Aquatime was my first proper watch that I bought from Watchfinder here in the UK for probably like two two grand, maybe two and a half grand, um, which was a huge, huge thing. And and, and I absolutely cherished it. Um, but so the idea of anything above that, quite frankly, was just such a, a challenge to get the head around. And I think that's the thing about, um, that's the thing that, that that we all have experienced in some respect is that, these lofty ideas of references, lofty ideas of pricing that you think will never happen. You, 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 over time, you, you find a way to kind of make it happen. And then you've got to catch yourself, not letting yourself get ahead of things and always aware of where you've come from and, and always aware of the, the, the reality that, you know, there is other things out there in the world than just watches as well. That's, that's important because you can get so lost and caught up in it that sometimes all you want to do is, tap your partner on the shoulder and tell them about the new uh vacheron reference and they don't necessarily want to hear about the new vacheron <laughs> reference and so that's you know that's that's important so i think that's probably my that's probably my answer but i'm not sure it entirely is answering the question yeah i i no, I, I think it's a very fair answer because uh you know with me around the auction it, I, i'm seeing you know i'm seeing a lot of grails essentially or that are grails for a lot of people but with anything you see it enough and then you kind of like you don't get that wow thing you know you get desensitized to it um think, yeah sorry to interrupt Dan. i think just just hearing you speak actually just reminded me of the, the other key element to this is that i do fundamentally think watches are about people and yeah. the opportunity that i've had since being in the industry is to, to yeah. meet the people behind these things yeah. and that and that I'm forever grateful for, because to me, these objects that we don't need are, are great. You know, they are beautiful and they're amazing by themselves, but they're only deepened by the, the people behind them, i.e. the people who gave them to you, the people you bought it with, the people who inspired you, the people who made it, the people who designed it, who put it together. So, you know, ultimately meeting someone like I, 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 Willem Schmidt, the CEO of Langer, is, has become yeah. a bit of a friend and a mentor to me. And I look at him and I think, I just, I like the way he operates, I, as well as I love the products that he makes. But, you know, I, I would never have had the chance to get to know the man. And now it only wants, it, 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 it's only made me want and love the brand more because of that relationship. So I think that's a key element. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. I think 
there was there was a point where it i mean I th- this is my watch journey in a very quick nutshell of yeah buying a very mundane piece which was mine was the omega seamaster so that was because of bond and then you know the the fire was lit and then i started wanting to acquire more pieces and then there's a limitation on your budget so then it's like how do i see more pieces and it's to meet meet people that actually have these pieces so i was very very fortunate to be well based in shanghai where it, there's some amazing collectors with amazing collections that are also very generous in giving me their time and then you know following my passion and developing that uh you know this podcast being one of them and then you know going to the auction house and seeing even more amazing people and and more amazing pieces and hearing their stories so that's been yeah a pretty amazing journey as well uh you know i get to meet long long as well through that right how, how um, about you yeah how do you view that now that you're closer given given the pod the pods obviously thrust you into into the the watch media limelight for yeah. the first time um i think it was it started off as a really selfish thing where it was just like okay me trying to build my confidence and trying to be able to accept that I wasn't as interested in bags and shoes and everything. So I was kind of like going at it alone. And then, so how I even connected with Dan was I would be, I was working in China and I would be like, okay, this VPN is not stable and reading these websites. And then I saw him in the comment section. I listened to this snippet of an interview he did. And I thought this British guy based in Shanghai, you know, he's running some festival. We connected like that. And then out of my like hearing this sounds like nothing which is like me flying to shanghai but it's it's so out of my character to be spontaneous like that but then i just i don't know why but i went i went to this festival connected with him and then that was where i kind of found like my group of people and my friends and everything because i finally went oh it's not that i'm weird and i have no friends it's just that only at like 30 did i make friends like only did through watches did i find people that i truly connected with and i could just like talk about watches all day and not feel weird or like like you said you just want to tap someone on the shoulder and talk about watches but so it took a while but that's what it's been like for me yeah really interesting really interesting right something um i want to touch on in the next question which is you've been in the watch industry for a while now and you've seen the rise of a dinky you know to some extent mr porter which have taken advantage of the internet and but what other parts of the industry do you see still see as untouched and ripe for opportunity? Where is the next big thing, do you think, in the watch industry? Jesus. Dan, you're coming out with some hot questions today. Crikey. These are these are proper well, thought thought provoking. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, was thinking, like, you know, you you're you're experienced, right? And yeah. I thought you know, I could give you like the mundane questions and you're going to roll them <laughs> off like anything because you're like so PR and smooth. But I'll tell you, though, the audience on our podcast, mm. they, they can just like smell BS like literally 10 miles away. So they'll know when I'm slacking as well when I ask the questions. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, in the last few years, we've seen this massive shift where we've got media becoming retailers and retailers mm. slash brands mm. becoming media. So that has been mm. the big shift. And and the teething issues that have come, as you've touched on there with Hidinki, is that, you know, it was it was speaking to a hardcore group of individuals and then it had to become something else. And and that's then upset people, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, you know, ultimately, people are in business to see a return and, and they have to do certain things that that, that ensure that. Um, 
I think we're seeing a rise of individuals. You know, I think we're seeing a rise of individual characters coming through the industry, you know, be it collectors or the media. And I think they they have had they can they can almost push away from the large media corporations and actually stand on their own two feet now for the very first time, like you guys are doing here with the pod. And, and I think looking around, I can see there's a few figures um, coming through that have taken the initiative by themselves to 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 create things and to do things and to to be spokespeople. Um, so that's really interesting when we talk about shifts and that shift probably extends to things like YouTube. You know, YouTube's seen a huge blow up in popularity around watches and, and with certain individuals behind that as well. Um, the brands, of course, are publishing a great deal more themselves, which is fascinating. Looking at something like the AP campaign and Mark Ronson, you know, recently, I, I love the fact that, you know, they could have put a new watch on his wrist, but he wore his old vintage, you know, mid-size gold Royal Oak. And that's that's really cool. And that's interesting because they're thinking and behaving like a publisher, not not a not a, a retailer of products. Um, so what's next? I do think we touched on um, the boys from um, about effing time. And I think I have to respect and applaud them for trying to, to do something different. And they've come at it like the top gear of of um of mm. watches. and that is really interesting and maybe maybe in five ten years we'll see a few more groups like that pop up or, or characters in 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 partnership that netflix or, or or some of the big you know players out there actually take an interest in and suddenly watches are really in the mainstream and it's like we've got high production of people going around the world and interacting um in a more um yeah, on a bigger stage, on a bigger screen than we've seen at the moment. And maybe we, we see a lot of it on small screen, but maybe on the bigger screen, we'll see more of that. So that's really interesting. I think fundamentally, there's an issue at the moment around, um, there has been an issue around the brands cooperating with one another to make the industry better. I think Watches and Wonders has been a good example of Rolex, Patek, Richemont coming together um, to, to make the industry better. Again, with AP and, and Richmond this week talking about their incentive around insurance together, there seems to be some positive waves out there on a, at a leadership level where they're saying, hey, we should work together. Of course, ultimately, because they want to make money and sell more watches to us, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I have to applaud the fact there's more cooperation. And that's, you know, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I'm pleased the trade show format has continued and, and is now stronger than ever because a year or two ago that, do you remember with Basel World Fallout and other things, there was a time when we thought that would not continue and we would lose the trade show. And I, I fundamentally believe in the trade show model because there's nothing better than feeling someone's energy in, in person. And the way we get better and understand watches is by sharing that information face to face. And you, you build a picture by interacting with more and more people. And, and I wouldn't have understood the Langer Odysseus like I understand it now if I hadn't spoken to people who knew a great deal more about how to build a caliber like that and make a chronograph that doesn't look like a chronograph. So I think that's really important. The area that I think is, is an opportunity, and, I, and I, I applaud Red Bar a great deal for what they've done globally, but I think there are, there's still an issue around communities in person localized communities in person where people feel safe and they feel secure and i think that comes down to smaller satellite groups like smaller get-togethers smaller opportunities to connect because what is a bit of an issue here for sure in london is that getting together publicly and um in big groups is is pretty pretty dangerous you know it's just not what you feel comfortable doing you don't want to take your your data graph with you and drop it in the middle of a table of people you don't know. So 
I think the, the, the get together scene is is a bit tricky. We've got a we've got a, a company here in the UK called Subdial, who are a second market, secondary mm-hmm. dealer, you know, second secondary market dealer who are doing an amazing job of things like these get togethers. They run small get togethers for their clients. I love the intimacy of working, I mean, working with someone. I love the intimacy of having someone I can speak to who's always interested in sharing watches that they know will resonate with me. And so I've got a guy there who I work with, who I enjoy a great deal as a friend and and, and someone I buy from, a guy called Tim Green. And, you know, they have these small get togethers and I really love that. That's a really positive thing. And they've recently launched this insurance thing, which again is a bit of a problem. I think insurance is a great problem in the watch industry here in the UK at the very least, because no one insures your watches um, adequately and to have them at home is is a problem. If you don't have a a super, super size safe that's drilled in and and all the criteria on your bloody windows and your locks, et cetera, meet these, these levels that are just nuts. So at the moment, a lot of people have them in banks and it just seems like a shame, you know, to have your watch in a bank and then you can't enjoy it at home. And um, so I think that's a problem and also an opportunity for, for the industry. And there's that's that's something that needs to be answered. Um, I think I think finally, sorry, guys, I'm totally rambling here. I'm, I'm literally just spewing. But I think I think the other thing is that there's a there's a bit of a power vacuum going on as well, because the media right now out there, a lot of the big players are. I mean, the word compromised is comes to mind because they're associated with the big brands. And as a result, there's a bit of a power vacuum for somebody who loves independent, vintage, high-end to come in like Hedinki did in the early days with Ben and sort of, you know, pour that into a passion project. It, it won't necessarily have the financial uh, returns or the, the the backing. I can't see a commercial route for it necessarily, at least in the first few years. But someone could come along and and I think a really strong knowledge base and and voice could 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 quickly gobble up market share or eyeballs online from people that are a little bit that feel disenfranchised by the shift in commercial requirements from some of the bigger players Mm. and then the the quietness is because i'm thinking about what everything about everything you're Mm -hmm. saying Mm -hmm. and i think um for me Uh, right now you see a huge amalgamation or the attempt of amalgamation of a lot of services together uh, because watch media can't really survive without selling watches retailers are not good actually doing the marketing right but then they have the watches right so you see this partnership happening between media and retailers or brands um but then there's also like that power struggle between them because, you know, the media is saying, I can sell the watches because I'm leading the traffic to you. And the retailers, yeah, but you don't have the watches. I have the watches. I take the risk, you know, because I, I take the stock. Um, and so what we've seen is like this quite development of an uneasy relationship, knowing at any point the media can join up with any other retailer at any point, you know, uh, and build that relationship. Um, but then also knowing as well, that the fact that I am retailing, I'm not neutral anymore. So like, and the, and the, and the consumer now is so savvy. You know, they know a lot of what they're reading is they're being pushed one way or this way to another. It might be knowledge sharing, but why are you talking about this piece as opposed to another piece? You know, it's most likely because it's going to lead to a sale or, 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 you know, the brand's paying you because they want that sale, you know, of a new model or something like that. So you're seeing, a, I think, an amalgamation of those services. I, I don't actually know what the next 
opportunity is. But I think you raised a very good point about small groups because that's what's happened to me. I way prefer the smaller intimate groups than um, you know the large get-togethers by and large because um, you. I feel like uh, that spark of, oh, I found some watch collectors. The spark which Long Long found when she went into watch festival, that's gone now. And what I'm looking for is depth. I need depth in conversation, meaningful conversation. And that means I need to find my quote unquote tribe within the watch community. Um, mm -hmm. I guess that is what has spawned this podcast because, you know, I get to have those meaningful conversations with two people that I know really well and I feel comfortable with sharing the pieces that, you know, I like and that, you know, there's that uh, mutual respect, you know, long, long, you know, likes of different pieces to me, you know, but we still like find common ground and yeah, you know, and we're constantly exploring as well. So that's an interesting point you make. I think actually, Lung, here's an opportunity that I think commercially could be really interesting. And a city like Hong Kong is perfect for it. Mm -hmm. But a delivery, a delivery service like um, Uber or, or Deliveroo or whatever you guys have there for food, but for watches where you could have your watch on demand brought to you within 20 minutes of anywhere in the city um, that's fully insured, that gives you an update like on its performance. So its accuracy gives you uh, storage facilities, um, gives you an update on its market price. I don't know all of the back end analytics, but just on demand watch delivery, because, um, you know, if we're not going to be able to live with it, you guys might be able to live with them at home there. But for, for the most part in cities now, I think what I see here in London is a lot of people aren't living with their watches at home. I actually thought about this because I actually know so many people that basically put it in the bank um, and they have chosen a bank that's based in the CBD area where you meet people. So on the way to meeting people, they go to the bank and swap it out. But I think there's a few things like um, one, uh, I think people still have this idea like they want a baby that they need to see that, like they are in control of these items. And I've also had a friend who did a subscription thing where it's like Netflix, you know, you pay a certain fee and you can rent different watches. But I think um, all that being said, right, uh, it still comes down to like a lot of people have this like OCD thing where they need to see the watches themselves. Like they can't trust that it's sitting somewhere and someone's going to bring it to them. I don't know if that makes sense, but maybe it's a culture thing with Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what did they make of the service, the the subscription service? Because I remember Eleven James years ago. They kind of yeah. came in and uh, came in business, then went out of business. I never really got that. I never really got it. Yeah, the problem is you need to have enough. So they did two tiers. They did um, the lower tier that would be Rolex, Hublot. Uh, those, yeah, actually they had only Rolex and Hublot. And then the higher tier was Rich and Mills. But then first you have to have infantry, the Rich and Mill infantries. And those people don't need money. <laughs> so mm. they don't care if you if they are getting like, say, even if you had 100 subscribers, like that to them is like not enough money to like loan the watch out. It just wasn't worth mm. it. So I don't think. And the other thing is the people that are renting a Rolex, that's about 11K USD. Um, they are also the people that are dying to wear a rich mill. That's why they're subscribing, not this, right? So in the end, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You know, so it didn't work out. I think, I think there's a, a problem as well, right? I think mm -hmm. when you, when you, when you get this watch, right, you know, it's not your watch. And so part of 
owning a watch and owning an expensive piece is the very fact that I earned it. I got this, you know, this success, right? Mm -hmm. And you go to a get together and you go, oh, you know, when did you get this watch? And you say, I loaned it. Mm. Just sounds crap, doesn't it? <laughs> like, but do you know how this? I'm going to talk about a hit to the ego, right? Do you know how this idea came about? The person that started this, because in Singapore, if um a lot Singapore is known for it being really expensive to own a car, and uh like eight or nine guys would share a Ferrari, so they'll buy a Ferrari and they'll take turns. Like every weekend, you have it, you have it, blah blah blah. But not to go for a drive, by the way, because Singapore doesn't even allow you to speed, but to like drive it to a club, basically. So they came up with the idea because of this. So, yeah. You know, you know what? Just to add to that, I think the scratches. Like I'm looking at this watch here, exactly. and I completely scratched this thing the other day. I hit mm. it on a on a like a, a flower pot. This 1921 Vacheron 1921. Yeah. And it's got a huge thing on the yeah, side now. Yeah. And I love it. I absolutely love the fact it's got the scratch in it now. And that's my scratch. And I don't have to explain it to anyone. And yeah. I remember it. I'll always remember when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay, I'm gonna move on to the next question. So you launched the watch annual. Um, and by the way, you never asked me for anything for that, just just letting you know. Because uh, <laughs> you can't write. That's the thing. Yeah, I can't write. What was the idea for that? Dumbly, that's going to change for 2020, uh, 2023. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the the uh, the inception idea. So we started actually, James and I, my my colleague James and friend. Um, we we were going to do a city guide. Actually, we were inspired by the serial city guides that that you might have come across. Serial magazine city guides, and we were going to do it for London and watch shopping. And then that was like 2019. And then the pandemic just started becoming obvious. And we shifted gears and said, hey, this is not going to work this year. No one's going to be traveling. And it then was clear to me. I was like, those those end of year stories, like the watch I wore the most that year online, those were the ones that always uh -huh. grabbed my attention and I loved. And I loved the connection between a simple image, like a non-professional image in quote unquote, for the most part. And just just an instant take of emotion, just like no guideline, but just emotion towards this thing. And if we could kind of package that up in a way that made it clear that these were all launched this year, it then became clear that actually we could get 40 people, which is what we had in the first year, 43 people from the industry who are the collectors or in the media or, or within brands just to share a wrist shop and their thoughts on the watch. And ultimately I hope that people have it on their bookshelves that they look back on 2019 and like, Oh God, that was the year of green dials or whatever it might be. Um, and also that there's nothing commercial about it. We're not, um, you know, as much as that between us, between us has been a challenge. It's been because we haven't taken any advertising. We haven't um, we we've not, been paid by a brand to, to feature a watch in in the mag so it's entirely just a reflection of the digital output but in physical print that hopefully will live forever amongst the community and it's very much a community project it's it's not mine you know necessarily i mean we, you know i i i have been able to put it together with these the help of these guys here in the uk james and, and kieran without them it would not have been possible um and without the contributions of the community, it would not have been possible. So I'm just a facilitator in the process of a fun, I think, what is a fun watch project that's not like everything else. Okay. Well, what what I'm hearing about you, which I absolutely love, is the fact that you do so much out of like your passion without really looking at the commercial gain like immediately, you know? 
Uh, I don't know if that's to your detriment or not, but I, I love the passion behind that. Um, if <laughs> you laugh, because I, I, there's clearly pain with that then. There's um, a bit of pain. There's a bit of pain, but I'm also a believer. I'm a big believer in life generally that, um, and I got it. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. It's a kind thing to say. I, I, it's not always true, but I, you know, I, I do try where possible. Um, but I'm a big believer that if you put things out there, you know, if you help people, you know, without wanting anything in return, inevitably it will come back to you. And um, my God, I, I, that's happened so much to me where a lovely PR manager has reached out saying, oh, could you come on this trip and just cover it and then do a story? And it's like, yeah, it's going to be three days out of my week, you know, as much as that, that sounds like a, a complaint, but three days not at your desk making money is not that that easy um, when you're self-employed. But but it's always come back to be a benefit in the long term. They've always come back and said, hey, hey, shit, we've got a photo job. Maybe you could do that for us or maybe you could do this for it. So it always comes back. And I've been touched with all of the positivity from the watch annual. That's that's for sure. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really, really good. And I can, th I think people on the podcast can hear your enthusiasm, yeah. you know, for, for the, for the watches, which I, I, I mean, this chat so far has been an absolute pleasure to have, but doing all these things, where do you see yourself developing even more? You know, where is the direction for the next, you know, you, you've harked on saying that, you know, you got into watches at 20, so 10 years or so, I guess you're in your early thirties. I don't want to put a number on it, but I'm just putting it there. You know, the next part is going to be relatively critical, you know, in your next life stage. What is it you want to do? Um, do you have any visions for that? Mm. Absolutely none, Dan. Absolutely no vision for what's to come next. The only thing I'm focused on, the only thing I'm focused on is, as, as cliche as it sounds, um, and he's a bit of a watch hero of mine, actually. He's a guy I've not met before, but I love his his collecting and I love his ethos to life, is Matt Jacobson, who was one of the early guests on Talking Watches. Yep. Yeah, and, ten watch and his, guy. Yeah, yeah, ten watch guy. Yeah, and 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 so the view he's always had, which I love, is 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 you want to be the best part of someone else's day, and 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 in that sense, all I'm thinking about is today and this week, and I know what I need to do today and this week, and ultimately, I'm a believer that it sort of starts to accumulate one brick on top of the next, on top of the next, and I don't necessarily know where that leads, and I, I'm not I'm not got preoccupied in the mind as to what that looks like in the future. Um, but, you know, the, the idea of being around the manufacturers that I really love, you know, I don't cover anything I don't love. And and, and the more I can do that, the better. Um, and I'm excited for where the industry is growing. I mean, God, think about, you know, we've all been in it for over a decade and, and we've 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 seen and felt watches for a long time. And the industry's changed so much for the better mm. over the last years. And it's so much more ingrained in the culture. And my God, I'd never have a full-time job in watches if it wasn't for the popularity of just watches generally. So I'm just grateful. I, I don't know what's next, um, but it comes down to the daily practice, the daily routine of just improving, getting better, doing more photography, doing more film, learning more about watches, speaking to more collectors, owners, makers. And that, I think, and I hope, leaves me in a better place. Thank you and good night. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like, that, <laughs> that is the, you know, I might have more questions, but, you know, I don't know. You know right? If you're trying to gently, if you're trying to gently tell me, yeah, we need to end this main interview now, you did it. Like, <laughs> I was just thinking it was so presidential for a second. It was totally a bad moment. But I've got some questions yeah. for you guys though, before we do leave. Yeah, no, that's, we'll go straight into the reverse round. Please shoot. I know, I know we're in the reverse round. So because Jacqueline's not here, I'll tell you what my question to her was is okay. 
Um, well, maybe she can maybe she can in some way send it to me afterwards, just just out of curiosity, because I see her photography is hugely inspired by natural light, which I love because right. I'm always I'm always struggling with artificial light, but I love yeah. a natural hard light. And I wondered if she photographed anything else other than watches, because I'd be fascinated to see her street photography or her landscapes uh, in due course. Uh, okay. So that's my question to her. We can touch on okay. that later. Um, yeah, I'll send that to her. Long, you're up first. So, um, mm -hmm. um, what was what was that first watch of yours? I mean, this is a classic cliche, but what was that first watch of yours that you bought yourself, and what was it in that watch that you connected with so deeply? Oh. I can tell you, I did not connect whatsoever. Like it was, uh, I can tell you, uh, I graduated in 2010 and from 2007, when I entered uni to 2010, um, Chanel J12 was like blowing up black ceramic, white ceramic. Um, so for three years in, in the UK, that's all I saw. It was like the coolest thing. The posters were huge. The ads were everywhere. So that's, the only thing I knew I knew nothing about watches I just thought that was the watch that meant you made it right um so during my first job uh that was the first watch I got so J12 but I got it in they it's a coated titanium and I actually still have that watch because I'm amazed that it still works actually and it's uh it's automatic it wasn't even quartz um but honestly, at that point, uh, when I had gotten it back then, it said automatic. And I was like, what's automatic? <laughs> like, and I asked him, like, what's automatic about this watch? And I know I didn't even hear a single thing that came out of the salesperson's like mouth. I was just like, whatever, I can't believe I'm getting this. And I remember I wore it and it made me feel like I made it. That's the thing. I, I think so. With all my watches, I say the same thing. You made it in university. Jesus. No, like I made it. Into what are you, Jacqueline number one? No, but you know what it is, though? Like I always say this, like I use the same analogy again and again. Um, Like people have watches and it feels like it's an extension of them. Right. So it's like this watch speaks about like this is me. But for me, it's like it's completely not. Um, an extension of me but it's like today I choose to be this character so I put on this like cape or whatever and then it makes me feel something and then tomorrow I want to be that character um, but at least at that point putting that watch on made me feel like I made it like I was in my dream job my everything my whole life was falling into place but now that I am well 33 and I feel like I know myself inside and out um, it's like it was nothing about that watch speaks anything about what I want like what I want now and anything about me so mm. yeah it just felt really fake but it's like I still have the watch and I still wear it sometimes to be like mm, does it feel the same but now I actually wear it for a different purpose I wear it on a day that I need to go to work where I don't want people at the workplace to think I'm into watches because I have this thing where <laughs> I know nobody at work listens to this so I can say this us like sometimes the watch brands will send stuff to the office and they'll be like oh why did ap send like i don't know flowers and i'll be like mm. yeah why like who is it for <laughs> but even though i know it's for me so i have this whole like different identity at work so that's mm. when i actually wear that watch yeah interesting very interesting yeah. i think it's amazing how like we look at watches right as a personal item but it's so well for us on the podcast at least they are inherent to our own personal journey. Mm. You know, they're almost like your companion. Uh, mm. 
your 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 quiet like friend that can't really speak much um you know and you and you may lose some on the way you might tr you know transact them out and there mm. are some which you know you keep and you always remember significant moments with that watch kind of in a way right um it's very strange but then you also remember as long kind of hinted how you were at that point mm. how your mindset was where mm. your personal growth was so that's a very interesting thing about watches mm. Totally right. It all resonates with me. Um, all resonates with me. Dan, we're on to you, my boy, and then uh, and then we're all good. So, your question is: um, Which watchmaker would you like to be sat next to at dinner, and which watchmaker would you least like to be in a lift with? <laughs> that is a really good one. Like I've never had that one before. Which watchmaker would I love to spend dinner with? Probably Dufour. Like that would probably come, like that's immediate without much thought. Dufour, yeah. Because just mentioned, you know, to have that lifelong passion, that dedication to make, to, to basically live his life the way he has done. I would love to enter that mind. You cannot, this is someone that has gained, you know, we mentioned John Claude Beaver at the beginning of the show. We respect him for the amount of his commercial successes in watches. And, you know, that is one way to respect somebody in an industry. But then the dedication that Dufour showed to his trade cannot be seen in less, it may even be seen in the better. You know, I, you know, that's a very controversial thing to say, but it's just an amazing thing to be sat next to someone like that, right? Mm -hmm. And to hear their take on life. And I can only think I'd be inspired, you know, if I got to speak to him and, and just a few minutes, you know, mm -hmm. so I think that would be pretty good. Um, in terms of like being in the lift with somebody and not wanting to be there, uh, I don't know who the watchmaker of Jacob and Co is, but it's Jacob. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and Co, right? <laughs> So I probably like I'm not the tallest guy anyway, but I probably like yeah move my way from the place that you have to press the buttons, and I'd be in the corner cowering somewhere, mm. Some, something like that. Um, I find it, you know, pretty difficult. I guess it's just such not the watch I would like. Um, it just doesn't resonate with me. In the Tag Heuer, we spoke before, so I I know a, a lady called Catherine Abel. And, you know, she was for a long time at Tag Heuer. And I really loved talking to her. You know, I loved, ha mm -hmm. you know, having dinner. And She's it a wasn't a brand that I was particularly affiliated with. I, I I would collect. But I appreciated the work that somebody was doing. And I have to, I think, yeah, we, like, tongue-in-cheek, we take the piss out of a lot of brands on this podcast. But we, I think we do recognize that, to some extent, those watches aren't targeting me, right? Mm -hmm. But they're target. they clearly make money. So whatever they're set out to do, their mission goal, there's to some part of it, like fulfilling it. It might, it's just not for me. And I think there needs to be that, you know, understanding when we have that tongue in cheek thing. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think someone, Andrew, actually, Andrew from um, about I think time said, you know, no one knows their customer better than Hublot right now. They, they know exactly <laughs> yeah. who they're targeting. And commercially, that's amazing. You know, I, we can only respect that. Um, and, and, so, and to so some extent, Richard Mill, right? And Richard, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah but yeah. also like Roger Dubuis. 
And Roger, but, but I think Roger mm-hmm. Mill looks kind of nice. Kind of. It looks way better than like Roger Dubuis, though. Oh, Just no, kidding. Do they listen to this? Yeah. I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that ends the reverser round. We now go into the final round, which is the pump pusher round. Okay. So 10 quick fire questions. Justin, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Aside from watches, which is the most important part of a man's attire? Shoes. Ah, yes. Okay. Right. Second question. Um, your favorite watch in your collection right now? Langer One. Platinum Langer One. And how long have you had that for? Three, two, three years. Two years. Okay. So that's, that's held number one spot for a while then. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> number three. The most annoying thing brands do to journalists that annoys them the most. Um, Shit sandwiches. <laughs> the most annoying. Shit coffee. Um, um, no free. Bringing shit watches out that you can't stand. Do you know what? Oh, God. Sometimes, this sounds terrible though, you're on a press trip, you're invited away, which is amazing, but you have no time of your own because when you agree to go away for 24 hours with someone, you're absolutely on their clock. And that can be really quite tough when you've got to write a story or you just want to have some downtime, but you know you're on the clock. So I think it's intensity of press trips generally. Mm. That's such a diplomatic answer, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll let you off. Okay, number four. One thing off your bucket list. In life or watches, just yeah, generally? in life. In life, one thing I'd really like to do is I'd love to go to the Masters Golf, which is happening this weekend at Augusta in, uh, in, in America. I'd love to watch that one day live. Okay. Number six, favorite article that you've written or favorite, we'll change that, favorite piece of media you've produced that you've re- you know, been most proud of. So it's not watches. I had the opportunity to interview um, a lady called Rachel Clymer, um, who's one of the top triathletes in the world. And I got to interview her when we were in Sierra Nevada in Spain, up in the mountains at a training camp. And wow. my sole objective was to try and draw some emotion out of her and, and our conversation. And my background is in sport. And, and I knew that that we had a wonderful moment where we were filming up in the mountains. And I just could feel that there was emotion in the air. And I got to ask her about her... her um, her uh her legacy that was my question i asked her about her legacy you know i said what would you like your legacy to be and for one reason or another she just broke down in tears and it was one of those moments where we we had it on film i didn't intend for it to go that way necessarily but it was just a very 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 powerful moment for all of us who were filming it and 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 for her as well so that would probably be my most proud moment in media okay number seven uh another hobby of yours aside from watches training um like i love i love i'm absolutely addicted to training lifting weights exercise of any kind and playing any kind of sport so give me give me anything and i'll I'll be excited about playing (laughs) okay um favorite quote of yours um expect nothing blame nobody do something and that was on the t- that was on the front that was on the door to the gym at Loughborough University where I was in the Midlands, which we t- touched on in our previous chat. Um, and it, it was home and has been home to some of the best athletes in the world. And on the front door, it just had a small letter o- above the the handle: "Expect nothing, blame nobody, do something." And I just love that. Yeah, 
That means you studied not far from uh, Long Long. She went to uh, Warwick University, which is actually, in fact, Coventry. <laughs> very, very lovely, lovely place. I've been yeah, up there before. University. <laughs> university. <laughs> yeah, it was so good that she spent the first year commuting from London. <laughs> yeah, <the> express. <laughs> right, number nine. Uh, book recommendation. Um, first one I think of, which is essentialism or essentialism. Oh, I know that one. I read that one. Yeah. By yeah. Ewan, oh, what's it? Um, oh God, what's his name? Um, something Mc like McGregor or something. McEwen. It's McEwen. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is ironic when we're talking about things like watches, but yeah. but I do believe it applies to everything in life. Is that it's got to be curated. You know, excess in anything in life is never. Mm -hmm. good. So watches, you know, oh, yeah. have the best, have the ones that mean the most to you, have the, the ones you wear, for God's sake. We don't need to own everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one. So when your mother said, pull on your nose, and then you said that she, she asked you to pull on something else, what was that something else? Editing that out. Editing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Actually, the last question is, what can we always find in your fridge, Justin? Kombucha. What? I do love. What? I love kombucha. You know kombucha? Yeah. You know, that's the most oh. random thing ever. I thought it was going to be like British cheddar cheese or something. Okay. Oh, I love Wensleydale cheese. That's something quite British, but I love that with the, the cranberries. and, and um, But I actually ordered, I ordered some kombucha the other day by mistake, literally yesterday. And we were filming here at the house. And um, I thought I'd ordered one case, but I actually ordered six cases by mistake. And so my whole fridge is literally full to the brim of 96 bottles of Homa kombucha. <laughs> right. Well, that has been so great to have you on. And that ends the podcast. Such a great chat. Like, I think uh, you're so likable, Justin, yeah. and so genuine. And um, yeah, I think this is the start of a great you know friendship hopefully you know next time and i'm in the uk i'll definitely look to hit you up and absolutely please do and, and long when you're here as well yeah. I, I i you know i want to be back in hong kong actually for the sevens rugby which is always one of my favorite things to do is the the so you guys thank you it's been an absolute joy truly it's nothing better than than this talking about watches and philosophy and life and meeting you guys so thank you thank you okay we'll see you guys on the next one bye as always, thank you for listening to The Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.